0: Uh, in verse number one, Second Samuel chapter 24 and verse 1. We'll read through the chapter. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, <clears throat> Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, And number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God add unto thee people, how many soever they be, an hundredfold, and that the eyes of my lord the king may see it. But why doth my lord the king delight in this thing? Notwithstanding, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. And they passed over Jordan and pitched in Aurora on the right side of the city that lieth in the midst of the river of Gad, and toward Jazer. Then came they, or then they came to Gilead and to the land of Totem Hadshai. And they came to Danjan and about to Zidon, and came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and of the Canaanites. And they went out of the south of Judah, even to Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. And Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people unto the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men that drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things, choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land, or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies, while they pursue thee, or that there be three days' pestilence in thy land? Now advise and see what answer I shall return to them or to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. And let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed. And there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Arona, the Jebusite. And David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And Arona looked and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arona went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Arona said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Arona said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Arona as king give unto the king. And Arona said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Arona, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. I note if you would please in verse 25 the statement, David built there an altar unto the Lord. As we close this book of 2 Samuel, we note this subject this morning, David built an altar unto the Lord. That's what I've titled this message, David built an altar unto the Lord. A very significant altar because there at the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite, a place where a farmer would separate the corn, there at the threshing floor, the Lord appeared in judgment. And there at the threshing floor, David built an altar and offered a sacrifice which appeased the wrath and the justice of God. And it would be there on the site of that threshing floor where the construction of the temple would take place. Remember, David had expressed his desire to build a house for the Lord, to build the temple of the Lord. And God told David that it would not be David who built the temple, but it would be his son who built the temple. And now God, in an act of mercy, in an act of, of his love, turns back from the wrath and judgment that fell upon the people. And he reveals to David that in this place, the temple of the Lord will be built. And for centuries to come, God's people would gather in Jerusalem and approached the Lord, making sacrifice for their sin until ultimately the Son of God himself came, the King of kings, the Son of David, who was the rightful Messiah. And there on the same mount where where that temple was crafted, where the stone was quarried to build it, on an extension of that same mount, the mercy of God, would meet the wrath of God when Christ Jesus the Lord died on the cross and made the payment for your sin. Therefore, those of you who know Christ as Savior have received the forgiveness of sin. The wrath and judgment of God has been removed and you are now a part of the family of God. What a glorious thing God has done for us. And therefore, David built an altar an altar unto the Lord. Now, this passage really introduces some difficult themes for us, doesn't it? It begins with God being angry. We like to think of God as love. We like to think of God as righteous. But we also understand that God is a God of justice and judgment, and he is a God of anger. He is angry with the wicked, the Bible says, every day. We are confronted by the sinfulness of man. We understand that God is angry because of the sin that has been committed by the nation of Israel and by the sin of David in numbering the people. We're confronted by the activity of the devil who is introduced not in this narrative but in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 when the Bible tells us that it was Satan who stood up against Israel and provoked David. We're confronted by the sovereignty of God and how he, in his sovereignty, allows for the activity of the devil and the sinfulness of man and how God uses that for good. We're confronted by the mercy of God and by the atonement that was made for our sins. The chapter begins with God angry. It ends with God appeased. And in these events, what do we find? We find that God demonstrated his mercy to his people and he revealed to them the place, as I mentioned a moment ago, where the temple would be built and ultimately on that same mount, knowing that the son of David, the son of God, Jesus Christ, would come and suffer and bleed and die to make the payment for our sin and appease the wrath and justice of God. Well, as we look at these thoughts this morning, I want to share three main headings with you, and I hope you'll write them down and follow along with me. Uh, First of all, I want you to see the king's sin, the king's sin. And again, the Bible says in verse number one, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number the people. Now, two questions immediately come to our mind. Number one, why was God angry? And the answer is not provided to us in Scripture. But we can conclude that God is angry with the sin of his people. Earlier in the chapter, uh, in this not in the chapter, but ra- rather in this book of 2 Samuel, we saw that there was a famine in the land and David did not understand the reason for the famine and so he inquired of the Lord to find out that the famine was a result of God's judgment upon the nation of Israel because of the way they mistreated the Gibeonites when Saul was king. And so again, picking up on that thought, the Bible tells us that the Lord was angry with his people because of their sin, it may have been, and only it, this is only conjecture, it could have possibly been because of the rebellion that took place with Absalom or a later rebellion that took place during David's reign or something that is left out of the narrative altogether. But here's what we know. We know that God was angry. And the Bible tells us that God does not take sin lightly. Our sin is an affront and it is an offense to a holy God. There's a second question that comes to our mind, and that is this. Does God initiate sin? Can a righteous, holy God tempt us to sin or motivate us to sin or lead us to sin? Well, James has the answer for that for us, and he tells us emphatically the answer is no. We know that because of the nature of the holiness of God. The Bible says in Psalm 145 in verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. God cannot tempt a man to sin. He cannot move and motivate a man to sin. So God did not initiate this sin, but rather God understood, knew in his foreknowledge and wisdom in his omniscience, that this sin was coming. And Satan, the Bible tells us in 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 1, in, in an account that, is, that details the events of, that we're reading of today, uh, the Bible says in 1 Chronicles 21, 1, and Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Now, the Bible says God moved David, and and then the Bible also says Satan provoked David. Which one is true? They're both true. They're both true. Satan, seeking to bring destruction to the nation of Israel, provokes David to number the people. God, knowing the plan of Satan, God in his sovereignty overrules the plan of Satan, which Satan has designed for evil, God has designed for good. And therefore, God can use both good and evil to accomplish his purpose. But God does not initiate sin. There's no excuse for our sin. Now, we have some examples of this in the, in the Word of God. First of all, you think about Satan's attack against Job. The Bible says that the devil came before the Lord. He's accountable to God. We don't fully understand all that that involves, but we know it's true. And God said to Satan, Have you considered, hast thou considered my servant Job? He knew that Satan was considering Job. He knew that uh, Satan wanted to attack Job. And so he introduces the thing to, to the devil. And the devil says, Oh, yes, let me tell you, I know all about Job. You take such good care of him. As long as you're blessing him in such a wonderful way, no wonder he worships you. But if you'll just let me touch him, if you'll let me afflict him, then he'll curse you to your face. And of course we know that God allowed that to take place and we know that Job maintained his integrity and he said the Lord taketh and the Lord the Lord giveth and the Lord blesseth and the Lord taketh and the Lord taketh away and he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. God gives, God takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And a mighty cheer from heaven went up from all those angels who had heard Satan say, You know the only reason Job worships you is because you take such good care of him. You're not really worthy of worship. And here's an instance where God allowed Satan's work and turned it around for his glory. Well, that happened in the life of Joseph. His brothers came to him after they had betrayed him and after their father had died, and they were worried that Joseph was going to throw them into prison. But the Bible says in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, that joseph answered them this way he said as for you ye thought evil against me put me in the pit selling me into slavery you thought evil against me but god meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive the brothers wanted to end joseph god said i'm going to use it as a means to get joseph to egypt so the world can be saved Preaching at Pentecost, Peter said this, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Listen, Jesus Christ came into the world to die for our sins. That was determined before the foundation of the world. Peter said, You have taken, by wicked hands, have crucified and slain him. You see, Those who crucified Jesus, those who betrayed Jesus, uh, they are responsible for their sin. They, in in a heinous act of rebellion against God, sought to put Christ Jesus to death, but God used it to accomplish his purpose. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 24, The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. I'm going to the cross, but still woe to the man who betrays me. You see, John Woodhouse writes in his commentary, divine sovereignty does not diminish human responsibility. David is responsible here for his sin. Neither does human responsibility diminish divine sovereignty. You can act in a way, Satan can act in a way, to try to defeat and overthrow God's purposes. But let me help you with something this morning. God's purposes are established. He will bring it to pass. So we see David had a plan. Look at it, if you would, please, in verse 2. For the king said unto Joab, the captain of the host which was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. Now, there's a lot of question about the sin of numbering the people. Why was it a sin? And there are uh, several good explanations for, for why that is potentially Um, or or what could be potentially considered as the cause or as the problem or as the nature of the sin. But I think we have something suggested to us in the text. God did not ask David to number the people. David, out of a desire himself within himself wanted to know the number of the people. And so he says that I may know in verse 2 the number of the people. So we conclude here from what the text infers that possibly David is motivated by his own pride. He wants a census taken, and maybe he can look back on where they were when he became the king, and now he can look back on where they are after nearly the end of his reign and maybe just rejoice in what he's done. There are also some other biblical principles that I don't have time to go into with you this morning, but here's what we do know. Whether we know exactly why it was a sin, we know it was a sin. And what do we conclude from that? Well, we conclude a couple things. Number one, sin produces more sin. It was the sin of the people that God was angry about, and that led to the sin of David. And so sin produces more sin. When Adam took the fruit of the garden that day, he did not recognize, he did not realize how that would affect us. But the Bible says in Romans chapter five that the sin of Adam has passed upon all of us. That sin was the first domino that fell. That has affected all of us throughout all of our lives. Sin produces more sin. Here's another thing I wrote down. Increased sin results in increased suffering. 70,000 people would die that day. The more sin we have, the more suffering we have. Another note that I wrote here, another statement I wrote, sin is an act of rebellion against a gracious and loving God. God apparently did not lead David to number the people. It was God who blessed the kingdom, not a human being. Our sin is an act of rebellion. It is is something that offends God. We live in a generation that excuses our sin, that, that seems to brush it aside and act as if it is no big deal. But we must understand that it was our sin that caused the death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And so I wrote this Sin requires justice. And that justice results in death. For the wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. So David had a plan, but then we see Joab's protest in verse 3. And Joab said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God add unto the people how many soever they be, an hundredfold, and that the eyes of my Lord the king may see it. But why doth my Lord the king delight in this thing? So Joab protests here. We're not sure if this is because Joab knew that it was sin or if Joab just simply didn't want to be in charge of the census. But nevertheless, David's word prevailed in verse 4, notwithstanding the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. So the census was taken. They came back in verse number 9 with the number 800,000 men in Israel Eight hundred thousand who were in the who were prepared for war, and five hundred thousand men prepared for war in Judah. So we see the protest, but then the census takes place. But notice what happens in verse number ten, when the number is given to David, and David's heart smote him. After that, he numbered the people, and David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done, and now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now, we remember David for his sin with Bathsheba and his repentance, but we see that this sin was a sin of great degree and offense. And and now David, aware of this sin, before when Joab protested, when Joab said, wait a minute, we don't need to do this, David didn't listen. By the way, that's just like us, right? The Spirit of God speaking to us the Spirit of God bringing conviction to our soul, we have a way to tune him out, don't we? We can grieve the Spirit of God and grieve the Spirit of God and ultimately quench the work of the Spirit of God to bring conviction to our hearts. David, the young man who in the cave was so sensitive that when he cut off part of the garment of Saul just to show Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. The Bible said his heart smote him. But now he's not as sensitive in his self-will and in his pride. He says, you just go and do what I tell you to do. But when he gets the number, God, by his spirit, convicts him. He smites his heart. By the way, conviction of sin is a gift from God. Tony Dungy, in one of his books, writes about a child that he adopted. And he said, that child fell out of the bed one night. They heard an awful thud. They got up. They went into the room. They found him getting back into the bed, but he didn't. they noticed something. He wasn't crying. They found out that he had a condition, a condition with his nervous system. He didn't recognize pain. His body didn't recognize pain. Some of you think, well, man, I'd like to have that condition. But it's a very destructive thing because when you don't recognize pain, you don't recognize the damage that is being done. And we live in a world that's hardened to God, that has grieved and quenched the spirit. David, when he was confronted with his sin by the spirit of God, he confessed it and he repented. He turned from it. Notice what he says, Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. When is the last time you told God that? And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Well, that leads us to a second thought today. Not only do we see the king's sin, but we see the king's supplication. Now, David is given a choice in verse 11 through 14, and essentially here's the choice. Do you want famine for seven years? Or would you choose to be on the run from your enemies for three months? Or would you choose three days pestilence, three days of a plague, a disease? In verse 14, the Bible said, David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Imagine making that decision. Then he said this, let us fall now into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great. And let me not fall into the hand of man. You see, ultimately, uh, David demonstrated his, his confidence in God. And what was he confident in? He was confident in God's mercy. Yes, there was wrath. Yes, there was judgment. But David was confident in the mercy of God. I'm glad that we have a God who is merciful. We live in a world that is condemned in sin. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to us, not in order that he might destroy us. John said it this, or John wrote it in the gospel this way, John three seventeen. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus Christ didn't come just to tell you you were on the way to hell. You were already on the way to hell. Your sin had already offended God. You are already under the wrath of God. So Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but he came in order to save the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jonah, as Brother Paul, he mentioned a few weeks ago when he was wallowing in self-pity, upset at the repentance of Nineveh, he said this concerning the Lord. He said, for I knew that thou art a gracious God And merciful, note this please, slow to anger. God's not some temperamental being in the sky just waiting to hit you over the head with a billy club. He is slow to anger. But notice this, also, and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. You see, as we learn, when we repent, when we confess and turn to God, God repents of the judgment and extends his mercy to us so David made a choice he said I'll fall on the mercy of God and take the plague and so the plague come came look at verse 15 so the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed and there died to the people from Dan even to Beersheba 70,000 men 70,000 And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil. God said to the angel, it is enough. Stay now thine hand. Here we have the heart of God revealed. His mercy and his grace. And David, the Bible tells us, saw this. In 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 16, the Bible said David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and heaven, having a drawn sword, the sword of God's wrath, the sword of God's judgment in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. I wonder as God sees the rebellion of this nation, is his sword drawn? And David and the elders of Israel who were clothed in sackcloth fell upon their faces. The Bible tells us here in our text in 2 Samuel 24 in verse 17 that David, when he saw the angel that smote the people, said, Lo, I have sinned, I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. Now, David was not privy to what God was doing, that he was angry with the nation of Israel, that he was bringing judgment upon them. But David is accepting the responsibility for his sin, and he's pleading on behalf of the others. He is praying for them. By the way, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was the sin bearer. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. It was not his sin. He had no sin. It was our sin laid upon him. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He took our sin and shame. He bore it upon the cross, but this was his prayer. This was his prayer from the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It was a plea of supplication. And so David prays for the people and God hears his prayer. And God says to the angel, it's enough. It's enough. So we've seen the king's sin. It's a serious thing. And then we see the king's supplication. God, be merciful. And then lastly, we see the king's sacrifice. How can God who is a righteous God, how can he justly, righteously withhold judgment and grant mercy? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Look at verse 18. God gives the answer. And Gad, who was a prophet, he was David's minister, Gad came that day to David and said unto him, go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite. The same place where you saw the angel with his sword drawn, that's the place. Go there and build an altar. So David went to the place in verse 19. He went to the place that God told him to go to. It was the place where the judgment of God was confronted by the mercy of God. And when David got there, Arona asked the question in verse 21, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee. I want to purchase this barn. I want this farm. To build an altar unto the Lord that the plague may be stayed. Now Arona said, Now wait a minute, David. Wait a minute, king. You don't need to buy this. This is nothing. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I'll give you the oxen, I'll give you the instruments, I'll give you the wood, everything you need. It's already here. But notice what David said in verse 24. And the king said unto Arona, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. You see, David understood that there was a price to be paid. I want to say to you, that just as David, the king of Israel, paid the price, David's son, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, came and paid the price. He paid the price for you and I. And that price was not silver and gold. That price was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's word clearly declares to us that it was the blood of Christ that has redeemed us, that has purchased us. That's recorded for us in Ephesians 1.7, Colossians 1.14, 1 Timothy 2.6, Titus 2.14, Hebrews 9.12, and also 9.15, 2 Peter 2.1, Revelation 5.9, Revelation 14.3. So there's no confusion here. It was the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. That was the price that he paid. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.20 and also in 1 Corinthians 7.23, this is what he said to the believers, you are bought with a price. A price has been paid to redeem us from our sin. And Peter described it this way, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That was the price that God paid for our redemption. You see, here we are under the threshing floor of Arona. The sword of God's judgment and wrath is drawn. We are guilty. But the king has pled for us. And the king has provided a sacrifice for us. And in the moment when we deserve judgment, God gives mercy through the blood of Jesus. Peter said, There's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved but by the name of Jesus. You see, there was a day when I was under that wrath, I was under that judgment, and I heard the message of the gospel. I heard that I was a sinner. I was confronted by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. The conviction of that reality set into my heart. I heard a message of hope that Jesus died for me and that if I would simply believe and confess Him as Savior, if I would trust Him, that He would save me, that the payment that He made on the cross would be applied to my account. And I remember that day praying and asking the Lord Jesus to be my Savior. And that day the wrath was gone and mercy was extended to me. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you under wrath or are you under God's mercy and grace? I have some good news for you. God loves you. For God so loved the world, that's everybody in it, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, We were already perishing. He came to keep us from perishing, but have everlasting life. Will you come and receive that life today? Christian friend, if you already have that life, let me ask you a question. Are you living in the fullness of it? You see, the Bible tells us that we have access. Let me read what what Paul wrote in Romans chapter five and verse one, therefore being justified by faith, the guilt is removed, the sin is gone. Therefore being justified by faith, faith in Christ, in his sacrifice, we have peace with God, no longer under judgment, no longer under condemnation, the sword is removed. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access Not only do I have peace, but I have access unto God. I'm living in a wicked world. I'm living in dark days. I'm living in a period of trial and confusion, but I have access to a holy God. And I can come to him, by whom also we have access by faith, into the grace wherein we stand and rejoice. How are you doing today? Oh, man, it's so good. No, I'm rejoicing. Why? Because I have hope in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. I want to invite you in just a moment to come and receive him as Savior. There are people who will pray with you and show you from God's word how that you can be saved. Would you come and do that today? Don't delay it. The sword of God's wrath is drawn, but God's hand of mercy is extended. Come and receive him. Christian friend, have you become self-willed like David? Proud, not listening, maybe grieving the voice within? Why don't you come and make confession for sin? I got some good news for you. The Bible says that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Why don't you come today and confess that? Renew your relationship with Him. Walk with Him in the fullness of His blessing. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com.